Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Andrew, and uh, I'm really glad to be with you here today. Um, as we begin, let's, uh, let's just start in a word of prayer. God, we thank you that you have already met us here this morning, that your spirit is here in our midst, and we pray that you would continue to inspire us to follow you in the darkened places of this world, whether they be here in Toronto, wherever we're from, or in the far winds of this earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Blood and bones cry out, groaning and yearning, hoping and searching. Blood and bones cry out for the life to come, for the life that will be, for the life that's been promised, for life they cannot see. Blood and bones cry out, awaiting redemption, anxiously waiting with bated breath, waiting. And we wait, even today, even here in Toronto, here in this chapel at Tyndale, we wait. And we wait with expectation. We wait holding firm in faith. We wait for God's great revealing, for the gift of God's spirit to be made manifest amongst us. In short, we're waiting for a miracle. When the day of Pentecost had come, it reads in the second chapter of Acts, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it came and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Today some of us are waiting. Like the disciples, we're waiting for God's life-giving breath the breath that animates us, the same breath that first brought creation into being. That spirit on the water, that first primal breath on the face of the deep. Some of us today feel filled by that spirit, and yet there are others of us running on empty. When the day of Pentecost had come, Jesus' disciples had gathered together in one place. I wonder what they were thinking and feeling, planning and discussing at that moment before everything changed for them once again. And I think today, I think today a different type of Pentecost has come for us. It's come for us as we've heard these words in our midst. Here we are, disciples of Jesus, gathered together in one place. And I wonder what you're thinking, feeling. I wonder what you're planning and discussing in these moments at the beginning of a new school year, so much to learn, big decisions ahead. Seems to me we're all on the cusp of monumental change. God is at work and will continue to be at work in our midst. It's time to take a deep breath. The day of Pentecost has come, dear friends, and we're gathered together in this room. And who of us are afraid? Who of us can anticipate what comes next? Who of us will dare to dream God's dreams? Who of us will dare to prophesy? Who of us will see visions and share them for all to see? These are the words spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, declares the Lord, 
that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So I wonder what your deepest dreams are this morning. Is it possible that those dreams might take on flesh? And so this morning we pray for divine inspiration, that God's divine holy breath meet us here again in this place. And we pray, God of all, we wait for you in silence. We expect your breath, your passion, and your fire in this place. Holy three in one, open our hearts to your presence in our midst and to your divine imprint on all we meet throughout this week. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. You know the story, and you probably know it well, the story of that old-time prophet Ezekiel. Zeke, the crazed performance artist prophet, swept up by the Spirit of God, whisked away and set down in the valley of the shadow of death. He's suffering post-traumatic stress in yet another Middle Eastern conflict. It's a far cry from our stresses this morning as we try to wade through the halls without spilling our Starbucks or dropping our books while texting about lunch plans. Ezekiel's journey through the valley of dry bones, his ecstatic and prophetic vision brings into focus the realities of exile, the realities of exile and dispersion, his people scattered to the four winds, reviled and oppressed. And unlike us, Ezekiel has no reprieve. There was really no way to escape this tripped-out, live-action, biblically-inspired dawn of the dead. So Ezekiel prophesied as he had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. And I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. This is the original source material for every zombie movie you've ever seen. Bone after bone, skeleton after skeleton in a never-ending panorama of killing fields. The bones of Israel, the remains of entire people, wiped out, discarded, and cast away. Face to face with his own mortality and the, face and, and the fate of his people. Face to face with desperation and despair. Face to face with God and the limitations of his own faith. It's in this place this place of utter disorientation and death that God intrudes on Ezekiel's reality. It's in this place that God demands he prophesy the improbable story, the impossible promise that these bones, these dry, dead bones, are to hear the word of the Lord. And so, as we think about these things this morning, I want to suggest that this is where God often meets us. I felt God meeting me in those places this morning, even as we were singing, as we were worshiping together. It's where God has been meet, meeting me lately as well. 
And it's a place where God has been meeting our international Word Made Flesh community. It seems to me that this place of disorientation is one of the very few places where we comfortable North Americans can finally accept God's grace. Why is it that places of deepest uncertainty and anxiety are precisely the places that God chooses to meet us? And I wonder, does it have something to do with our vulnerability, with our defenses down, none of our own designs, none of our own self-righteous retorts can keep reality at bay? When our ego can no longer get in the way, when we are no longer the gods of our own universes, the one true God, the creator, a God of Israel, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit appears. In such a place as this, we're once again able to confront our own brokenness and to respond to God in a posture of humility. We come to realize that we can no longer do it on our own. We can no longer claim to be the center of our own private universes. God is God and we are not. And like the disciples at Pentecost, like Zeke in the Valley of Dry Bones. Now, Peter mentioned this earlier, and since January, I've had the chance to work with Word Made Flesh, a community of contemplative activists serving Jesus amongst the most vulnerable of the world's poor. Our communities are often referred to as new, the part of the New Friars or the New Monastics Movement. Um, and if you've been, any of you have read Scott Bessenecker's books or heard of this guy called Shane Claiborne, you probably know what I'm talking about. This work has been and it continues to be profoundly transformative for me. And in the midst of it, I find myself constantly confronted with my own brokenness. It's in the face of material poverty that I've had to confront my own poverty of spirit. It's in relationship with men and women at home in Vancouver who have been made victims of poverty and abuse, of residential schools and institutionalized violence, that God has been calling me to really rethink my own privilege. And it continues to be a season of death and resurrection for me, a time of waiting for God's breath of life to descend, for God to birth something new, for God to breathe new life into weary bones, or at least to hand over enough Red Bull to make it through the day. Word made flesh communities, if you don't yet know, can be found in places like Calcutta, India, and Lima, Peru. We live and serve amongst women and children exploited by the commercial sex industry and street-involved youth without access to education or opportunity. And it's in these places, in community with people affected so deeply by material poverty, that we continue to meet God. And we continue to see and experience the power of Christ's resurrection. This is where we experience Christ's life-giving breath. My friend, Sarah, serves amongst prostituted and trafficked women um, with Saribari, our community and social enterprise in Calcutta. And she recently admitted that there seemed to be 20 stories of loss for every story of hope and new life. It would be easy to stop looking for the light and let the darkness overwhelm. But if we choose to see, if we dare respond to Jesus who reveals his heart to those with eyes to see and ears to hear, if we choose to move beyond our comfort zones and enter into deep intentional relationships with those who have been made poor, if we choose to leave our power and privilege behind, if we choose to pick up our cross, if we choose to seek Jesus' heart, we will find it amongst the poor and the brokenhearted. We will find Jesus' heart amongst those the world considers the last, the least, and the lost. 
For you and for me, for many of us in this room, poverty would be a choice. The fact that we're all at school and can afford more or less to pay tuition sort of indicates that we have a certain amount of privilege. So this morning I want to share a, a short story from our community in Calcutta. On a recent visit to the brothels in Sunagachi, um, Melissa, one of our community members there, started talking with a girl that she hadn't met before. The new girl didn't speak much Bengali, the local language, but spoke some, and they started to chat. And somewhere in the conversation, Melissa asked her her name. Asha, the new girl responded. Asha means hope. Hope in Sonagachi. Now, if you've been to Sonagachi, have some questions about that. What you were doing in red light districts in India is, you know, it's an interesting question. But I've been there, and I need to point out that from the outset, the, that the red light districts of the majority world aren't exactly places that inspire hope. In a city with 22 red light districts, Sunagachi is one of its most notorious. And each day in that city, 60,000 women are being exploited in its brothels. It's in places like this that our friends are clustered in tiny rooms where they are raped 5, 10, maybe 15 times a day, only to be later beaten by their pimps. So this isn't exactly a place that inspires great hope. Melissa leaned over, showing Asha her wrist, uncovering the tattoo that says hope, and beginning to share why she had that word, Asha's name, tattooed on her body. She started to share why she believes that there is always hope. Even in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of difficulty, hope still remains. And then, from up behind her, a man approached. Asha, he says firmly. It's a command. And it's all he said. It's all he had to say. And in that moment, Asha walks away. Hope walks away, leaving Melissa to sort it all out, feeling as though her words were incredibly trite. Somehow, in the face of this reality, the reality of lust and power and entitlement, and all of these things rooted in male violence against women, words of hope can ring false. This is our challenge as Christians in Canada. This is our challenge as members of the Global Word Made Flesh community. Because the question that haunts us, that dogs us, that follows us around is simply this. What right do any of us have to speak of hope in places such as this? What do any of us know of hope? How can we bear witness to hope amongst people who have every right to question God's goodness? What right do we have to prophesy new life to dry bones? For many of us here in Canada, it's hard to imagine what this suffering is like. Some of us have struggled, some of us know others who have suffered, and yet it's sometimes hard to understand what it means to bear witness to hope in darkened days, in places where poverty is systemic and change seems more illusion than reality. These are not the places we, for the most part, live. And it's hard to put ourselves in the shoes of those who suffer unless we meet them. Theologian, theologian uh, Gustavo Gutierrez once famously said, you say you care about the poor, then tell me, what are their names? We must all walk the slow, patient, countercultural road of getting to know our friends who are poor and getting to know their names. It's hard to bear witness to hope in the abstract. It's nearly impossible. 
Hope bearing is something that comes from deep relationship, that comes from entering into somebody else's story, even as we let them into ours. It comes from knowing others, knowing their names and them knowing ours, because bearing hope, deep, expectant, and resilient hope cannot be offered as some naive semblance of assurance. A one-off announcement of hope without deep commitment from the hope bearer, without, without actions that speak as loud as words, will fall on the ears deafened by so many previous empty promises. And let's face it, we Christians, like so many others, are guilty of empty promises. And so, while we hope and pray that all will turn out okay for our friends who are poor, we know that we hope for something that we cannot predict. And yet we hope, and the hope that we point to, the hope that we see and experience in Jesus is greater than our own limited perception of reality. The vision of hope that we point to is the hope of God's kingdom. It is the hope of a garden city watered by streams of justice. It is the vision of a banqueting table where all are invited and all are present. I wonder what areas of our own lives model that. How do we bear witness to hope? How do we image and enact the kingdom of God in our own lives where wolf and lamb lie side by side? Because we have to do more than talk about, than sing about hope. To bear witness to hope is to invoke it in our very midst, to shine a light in the darkness and to light it again and again and again each and every time it's snuffed out. This is what Word Made Flesh is about. In Calcutta, our community through a social enterprise called Sari Bari quite literally participates in new lives in the making. Formerly prostituted women are trained as artisans and make these incredible blankets and bags out of discarded saris, practicing resurrection in the midst of death. Even though the darkness can be overwhelming, God has promised us God's spirit, the advocate. And so in the midst of death and dying, we, like Ezekiel, must prophesy as God gives us strength. We must be prepared to die to ourselves, even as the early disciples were forced to do time and time again, so that even in the most dire of situations, we respond to God's call to bear witness to hope, a hope that boldly stands up to the darkness and says, we beg to differ. And so our challenge today, our challenge here in this room, in this college, in this university, our challenge today is to listen to what the Spirit is saying to us and to our church. For those of us in Word Made Flesh, God continues to call us to serve amongst our friends who are poor in the slums and red light districts of the majority world. And maybe that's a call that you're feeling deep in your own soul deep in your bones. We're always looking for others who want to join us, who, those who want to join us as we pay attention to, as we participate in those resurrection stories, stories of dry bones coming to life through the power of God's spirit. And God might be calling you, God is calling each of us, but what to? And so if this is something you're discerning, if serving Jesus amongst the most vulnerable of the world's poor is something you're feeling called to, it'd be really great to talk afterwards. Check out our website or Facebook page, send me an email or find us on Twitter. Pick up our books like Simple Spirituality and Friendship at the Margins. Talk to the bookstore earlier and they're both available there. I'd love to journey with you in your discernment. 
God calls each and every one of us to pay attention to the movement of God's spirit in our midst. And so I hope that today and in the coming weeks, I hope for you and for this university community that you continue to find ways to follow God's spirit, to be open to whatever God will bring. And how will you, how will this community like Ezekiel and the first disciples practice resurrection? How will you join with others doing the same? Will dry bones live? In the end, it turns out it's not up to us. In the end, it's up to God's spirit, God's life-giving spirit working in and through us and on our worst days working in spite of us. In the end, only God knows whether these bones will live. But we have to make ourselves available. We must continue to gather, to dream, and to respond to God's spirit. We must boldly bear witness to hope, the hope that new life is possible, that breath can once again animate these dry bones. Because our hope, our hope is not a naive hope. Ours is a hope in the creator of all things. Ours is a hope in the Messiah who lived and died and rose again. Ours is a hope in the God who calls us to pray that God's kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. And ours is a God who invites us to participate in the renewal of all things. Blood and bones cry out, groaning and yearning, hoping and searching for the life to come for the life that will be, for the life that's been promised, for life they can't yet see. Blood and bones cry out, awaiting redemption, anxiously awaiting with bated breath, until blood and bones cry no longer, bone embraced by sinew and flesh, a brand new creation animated by God's inspiring, world-changing breath. Let's pray. God, you shine a light in the darkness. You shine a light in the darkness of our own hearts and in the darkness of this world. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you that you have come to redeem this entire world. And we pray today, we pray today, dear God, that you would help us to follow you wherever you're calling us, whether it be to places like India, here in Toronto, or other places in Canada. May we serve you with all we have and all we are. In Jesus' name, amen. And now, dear friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You are dismissed.